On today's show, Cameron Deason Hammond tells us how to trick yourself into writing a good book. Spoiler alert, it helps if you're already really talented. And Tin House workshops don't hurt. Also, we get down to the reels about spiritual writing in the age of Trump and why we can still afford to be hopeful. They changed all the sounds, you know, on oh, did Skype. They? Yeah, yeah. I love that Skype. Like, I insist on using it even if we don't really use Skype. Like, that kind of turns off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People buy books. It's a, it's an aspirational act to buy a book. You buy it, read a few pages, put it on the shelf. You know, I'm like, really? I mean, people don't even read books, so, you know. And I told myself this all through the process of writing the memoir. Like, I'm never going to get an agent. I'm never going to find a publisher. It's going to be fine, you know. And, and I tricked myself into it in that way. Like, I tricked myself into finishing it. All writing is tricking myself, yes. I think. <laughs> yes, totally. it is. It... This is really interesting timing. And it gave me courage to, you know, right. to look at it more closely and to not be vague and to not, you know, put a bunch of poetic batting around everything, you know, like, <laughs> stuff, to, stuff, yeah, stuffing. Oh my God, that's the best word. Poetic batting. <laughs> I'm Kate Martin-Williams. I'm Jessica Cole. And this is Effing Shakespeare. By writers, for writers. Uh, after how many years practicing literature with a capital L via courses and credits and extended studies, the second season of this podcast, I've learned something about reading. I think we spend too much time reading in survey form, picking and choosing from one bit of this and one bit of that. Even at a young age, we dip into poetry for a bit and then move on to a nonfiction unit. In undergrad, we skip over to the 20th century and then the 17th century romantics, yada yada. But the deep dives, it's the deep dives I love. We need more time to really jump in and read the breadth of someone's work. And I have so loved jumping into Cameron Deason Hammond's work. From math rock drummer, a poem from the Columbia Poetry Review, to her stunner from the rumpus, Lord Willing and the Creek Don't Rise, a moving essay about Harvey in Houston. I then read her Springsteen homage. I listened to her own music, which includes gorgeous renderings of 80s hits by men, The Cure, Robert Palmer, and also her own podcast, The Ish, which you should totally check out. By the time I got to her review of Mandy Lynn Catron's How to Fall in Love with Anyone, I was sure we had already met in a previous life. Maybe it's a reaction to where I am right now, Maybe it's a reaction to where we are in the world right now. No time for much more than linked characters and the absent-minded thrum of board screen scroll. But then you get interrupted. A collection of writing quietly implores you, then demands your attention with all the confidence of a naked lover. Shut up. Be still. Read this. You'll be glad you did. Cameron Deason Hammond, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. What a beautiful introduction. I'm like weeping over here. <laughs> God. Well, thanks for coming on. <laughs> it's we, my pleasure. We feel like we've been sort of like orbiting in spheres of Houston, this like giant metropolitan place yeah. that somehow manages to like continue to link us in crazy ways. Yeah. It, it is very large. Yeah. And it is amazing that we have not yet met. Yeah. 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 And then I didn't know, have you heard of Karen Walrand? 
Yes, yes. Well, of course. Of, it's so interesting. Um, Karen and I have many mutual friends. Uh-huh. And we actually were at Brene Brown's 80s-themed birthday party, <sighs> dancing side by side. And I knew who she was, but obviously she did not know me. And I was like, I know her. I know her. I follow her on the Instagram. <laughs> so I feel like I'm a fan of hers. I've never met her. But then we have many other friends in so, common as well. So Brene Brown is a yeah. mutual friend too, yes. because I know her through my husband's work. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's, And I didn't go to that party, but I should have been yeah. at that party. We were invited, but we... So, so Houston conflict. is like, what, six degrees of Brene Brown. That's, That's what we're realizing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is for sure. It. Heard for sure. It here first, but I, I, I saw so many connections between her writing, Karen's writing, and your own. Oh, thank you um, for saying. So that. I brought that for you to check yeah, out. Yeah, look forward great. to reading it. Our previous guests. I would love to have. We should do that sometime. We should have like a big podcast party. Yeah, of our, of have our all the F and Shakespeare guests. Yeah. In one room together. That that's great idea. Amazing, or the universe will explode. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to start with a, a, a reading? Do you want to set it up? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to read one section from an essay that's coming out through Echo Tone, a literary magazine called Echo Tone. And this piece is called Witness Tree. And I think I'll just read it. That that's sweet? cool. Yeah. Okay. Witness Tree, one. Suppose I start with a tree. It's an old tree, tagged with neighborhood graffiti, wide as a linebacker. It's where we met to sing hymns and pray before heading out into the night to find homeless people and sex workers, tell them Jesus died for their sins, and hand them a baggie with a sandwich and a bottle of water. Suppose I tell you that while the others prayed some in tongues, I had a vision. A boy sat on a fence and dangled his feet. We've got to pray for those on the fence, I declare to the group of gathered missionaries brimming with false confidence. For those who haven't decided, who aren't certain. The missionaries were a suburban cohort of charismatic Christians who believed that they, we, were sent to save the neighborhood. I admired their enthusiasm. I aspired to it. But I wasn't comfortable with what we were there to do, had never been comfortable with it. I felt my discomfort was a kind of spiritual failure. I was the only one among us who lived close by, and even as I spoke, I wanted to cover my face. Instead, I chided myself, you shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. I could tell you how, after we spread out into the neighborhood, armed with Bibles and cheap snacks, we came upon an actual boy sitting on an actual fence. I could tell you that later I bristled but said nothing when the other missionaries referred to the transgender women lined up outside the dance club as he instead of she. A few years before this, I had fallen in love with God, had followed this God from one life into another. That love was a feeling so searing I thought it would never end. It was not my love that ended, but the object of that love. My idea of who or what God is became complicated even further by the night that began at the tree. I want to tell you about that tree, about its liminal space, the spirit that swirled around it like weather on a mountain. It required nothing, declared nothing. I've had to learn new language for the kind of spirit that requires nothing. I'm still learning it. I know many of the specifics of what we believed were wrong. 
I was wrong. The idea that what we were doing was helping anyone, this was wrong. But the tree, like a witness to my folly, is still there. Every time I drive past it on my way to the coffee shop or the grocery store, it stands without shame. I duck like a cop in an unmarked car. Mm. My God. Maybe this... it's because I'm Jewish, but I feel like the only relig- like Christian religious writing that I want to read is yours. <laughs> <laughs> Um, can that be on my tombstone? <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's not true. Kate has an unbelievable, um, it's also in sections, right? Your incredible essay. Um, yeah, that's not true. And now you've introduced me to Christian Wyman or women. I don't Christian know how to Wyman. pronounce his last yeah. name. Yeah, Christian but yeah, Wyman. there's obviously, there's obviously a lot of good stuff out there, but, um, yeah, I I think it's the grappling with the uncertainty yeah. and the that's what I want to read, uh, and yeah. and in anything about anything, but right. specifically Christianity yeah. <laughs> or religion in general. Well, that's what I want to write. So we're a yeah. good, good pair. Yeah. <laughs> Christians can write; they just need to be honest about it. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, I think also you know I write a lot of essay, and the the idea of essay is to pose or search after a question that is unanswerable or that is unanswered in the piece right and so that is is something i think that drives not only like good writing but also like a good life yeah um Mm -hmm. you know yeah so (laughs) i have no answers i have all kinds of questions (laughs) i think the other thing i love is um how willing to be vulnerable and transparent you are in your writing like it's just i've i've heard you talk on your podcast about like existing in spaces and being silent about certain things for a time a period in your life um so that you can continue to be in that place you know um, and represent who you are um and then at some point you know throwing that off and deciding you were going to say what you were going to say and um and not apologize for it um but I I wonder is there is there do you ever worry about revealing too much about leaving so much of it out there yeah I mean (laughs) I I I love it I I have a very elaborate system for handling that and I actually I I, (laughs) is it a secret um, no you can know I'll I'm happy to share it I actually taught a um a creative writing workshop this weekend and this came up you know how do you write about really difficult personal things that involve other people Mm -hmm. you know when it's not just you that's exposed but also your loved ones and how do you do that in a way that is you know generous but also fair and true um (laughs) and I mean my 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 system is is not ideal but here's how I do it I tell myself that no one's gonna read it and I tell myself that really up until the point that I'm at now which is like I have a book that's coming out next year and I'm still telling myself this, you know, like, ah, people don't read books. I mean, let's be honest. People buy books. It's a, it's an aspirational act to buy a book. You buy it, you read a few pages, you put it on the shelf. You know, I'm like, really? I mean, people don't even read books. So, you know, and I told okay. myself this all through the process of writing the memoir. Like, I'm never going to get an agent. I'm never going to find a publisher. It's going to be fine, you know. And, and I tricked myself into it in that way. Like, I tricked myself into finishing it. All mm-hmm. writing is tricking myself, yes. I think. <laughs> yes, totally. it is. It is. Um, but now, you know, I, 
do I fear about things being out there? I mean, yes, of course I do. I, I'm, I'm terrified. I, I, but at the same time, I don't, I don't know any other way to become an adult, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, to move into sort of the next, you know, like the crone phase of my, of my life. If we're going to talk about our, you know, the trajectory of our lives of, you know, in fairy tale language, yeah, you know, yeah. moving out of maiden and, and, and into yeah. crone yeah. and, I thought you know, we got to be matrons first. Or matron. Or okay, cool. I yeah. guess that's where I'm at now. Um, yeah. Or, but, but I, you know, I, I feel like what is, what is the point if I can't share it? And I think also learning how to share difficult things beautifully or in a way that is, um, you know, ev- that is, that has evidence of a lot of years of effort and craft just takes the sting out of it in a way. You know, it's not, I'm not writing hot takes um, mm-hmm. I'm not hitting publish on a blog with a hot take and throwing everyone under the bus. Like that's not what I mm-hmm. want to do. Um, I'm, I'm terrified of that, you know, and I wouldn't, I, I don't know. Um, I think I'm more interested in like creating something beautiful now, of course, at the same time, like I have a child and a, a husband and, you know, they've been unbelievably supportive through this whole process. And maybe that's another, another conversation, but, um, if they were not, I wouldn't be able to do it, you know? Right, um, right. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, yeah, it's t- it's a tough question for every writer, I think, of nonfiction. Even of fiction. You know, if you write a novel, people are like, oh, obviously this is your life. <laughs> so you have to answer those questions anyway. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you, you, don't, you don't get it. But yeah, the, I, mean, I mean, the answer is yes, I am. It's scary. Do you think it's changed, your approach has changed you know, in the last six months since the new wave of mm-hmm. feminism, the Me Too movement, where, where so much of private is becoming public for so many women? I think that's such a great question. And I was already, the book had already been written when this started and I was into rewrites and edits. And it actually made me feel as though the work I had already done and the risks I, was, I knew I was taking were validated. So mm-hmm. it was almost mm-hmm. like as though like the time timing caught up with me in a really beautiful way that I'm grateful for. Um, yeah. You know, there, the issue of sexual harassment and assault is in my book. And, you know, when I wrote it, it was before any of this happened. And, um, and so it just felt like, okay, this is, this is really interesting timing. And it gave me courage to, you know, right. to look at it more closely and to not be vague and to not, you know, put a bunch of poetic batting around everything, you know, yes. like stuff, to, stuff, yeah, stuffing. Stuff oh my God, that's the best word. Poetic batting. Poetic batting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even with, you know, even with Witness Tree, even with this essay, I, I, we were in edits for this essay and I reached a point of crisis of like, I don't know if I can say this, you know, and I'm thinking about the people that were there with me at this experience and I don't want to hurt these people and I love these people. Um, and I talked to a, my friend Lacey Johnson, who's a writer, and and I was like, well, you know, couldn't I just be poetic about it, and the reader could just like enjoy the language? And she was like, no. <laughs> she was like, no. You, could just enjoy you can the be poetic. Smell the flower. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I was going for. I was like, couldn't it just want. be like lovely, and you think maybe you know what it's about, but you're not sure? And she was like, no. No. You can't do that. <laughs> so I was like. Ugh. Shit. Thank God for Lacey. Yeah. The Lacey's in our lives. Thank God for Lacey Johnson. Yeah. yeah. But, um, <clears throat> and she was right. And the answer is that you can be both, right? You can make something beautiful that is also true. 
Mm-hmm. But you can't make something beautiful that is afraid of the truth. Or you can, yeah, yeah. but it's not quite as effective, you know? Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so, but I mean, I wrote this like four years ago. And then in the edit, so much had changed that it became like, so I would say that, yes, a lot in current, you know, politics informed the edit of this. And mm-hmm. that I was like, all right, well, I have to totally be honest about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm in good company right now with sure. that, you know. Right. Oh, my word. Do you think Do you think that men get asked this? I mean, I was thinking about your podcast with your brother, who is also a musician and creative, and I loved this. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's like surprise after surprise, and it's all live, you know? So there's the complicated feelings about your father and your attempts at converting your brother at some point mm-hmm. and to sort of outing you about that yep. in his song 55 pictures that you heard for the first time as an audience member yep and then you chronicled that experience in your essay brothers and sisters I don't know it was it was it was amazing to me that you were just it was reveal after reveal and and he was doing it too and it seems like there was a sort of a back and forth gender parody of revealing and, and vulnerability so is that is that something you think, I don't know, you, you've probably collaborated with a lot of other or been exposed to a lot of other male artists. And is that something that you've experienced a lot of or is this, is this the gender more... parody? Is that what you yeah. mean? Like, like do other male artists or writers get that vulnerable? Like, yeah. With me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not unless I'm married to them or him or I'm related to him. Brother, so it's a safer yeah. space. But yeah. I was just like, wow, that's amazing that you guys have this great back and forth and you just keep sort of not like sensationalizing your your vulnerability, but like matching it. Yes. That's such an interesting read on that. I need to go back and listen to it. Thank you for that <laughs> that insight. Because when you're describing when you were when you were speaking, I was like, "Is that a thing that we do? Like, how do we?" And then I was like, "Did we learn this from someone, or that's, how did this happen?" That's no, yeah, know. because I I listened to the same podcast. We listened to it separately. I didn't know Jess had listened to it, and I was listening to it too. And and the whole time I was thinking, if my brother were on the show. Would anything that real have come of, yeah. of it? Especially with the edifice of it being a podcast, which is for distribution, you know, so right. you're sort of on stage and presenting something. And then and then the artifice of just having a microphone yeah. in front of your face. You know, it's like, so interesting. I think it goes back to my my self self-talk about no one listens and no one reads. And <laughs> and and I think that my brother also does that. No, I really do. Oh, that's so funny. You know, I think that when you've been, you know, a musician as long as I have, as long as he has, and you have been sort of through the like playing to three people or, you know, and times when you're playing to a thousand people, it's it's widely varied, right? You just kind of like assume like People don't give a shit, so let's just go for it. And and what's funny about that episode is that is my most downloaded episode, like six over six thousand downloads of that interview really? with my brother. It's a wonderful. It's episode. just weird. It's and I'm like, is it because it's the last one we did? Is it because I don't know what it is? But I, I think that it is something that we we do, and like the way that we became creatives. Obviously, we were sort of sparking off of each other and he was mm-hmm. as I talk about in that episode like he was a child actor on Broadway and right. 
You know, and I think that, I mean, it's to be, you know, to be fair, it took me t- a decade to speak to 55 pictures, right? Like I heard it live in the audience, but oh, it took me 10 years that. before I could really say to him, I mean, even maybe even being on that podcast was the first time we ever really had that conversation. It certainly you sounded know? like it. Yeah. He, he yeah. was like, oh yeah, you He's were like, in the audience? <laughs> I was like, oops, sorry. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah. I was sobbing. It was really awesome. I was in the front row sobbing. So dramatic. We're we're so Russian in that way. So dramatic. Yeah. Oh my god! So I am too. So are you cool. are you a Russian Jew? Oh, so yeah, am I. Totally. That's yes. so awesome. <laughs> High fives across the space. Uh huh. Yeah, and you know, I know we'll talk about books later, but I saw I went and saw the Seagull, which is the mm-hmm. you know the mm-hmm. movie made from the Chekhov play, yes. and. I was like, I've never felt so seen, you know, I was like Russian, like, this is me, super dramatic, you know, all about like art and like the devastation of art and the way the family explodes and love. And, and I walked out of there like, like wanting to put more clothes on. Yes. (laughs) Um, and I don't know if that's just like an American fantasy of like what one inherits from one's, you know, ethnic background probably is, but yeah, we're very dramatic. (laughs) Well, you should definitely go check, check out all of the episodes of the ish, but that one, that one was, that one. Oh my God. Yeah. And I don't even have a brother. I have a sister and we're really close, but I'm like, could I even have done that with my sister? Like, I don't even know if I could have. And we're, yeah, we're equally, you know, well, you know, we're biologically from the same Russian Jewish parents. So yeah, yeah. We've got, we've got the, (laughs) The dramatic. The dramatic genes, the yeah. Flare. yeah. The flair. So, so we we got a sneak peek of Cameron's few chapters of her forthcoming memoir, and it's so good. It's called "This Is My Body." It's coming out in the fall of, but not this year, twenty nineteen. Yes. So you have a while to wait, dear listeners. But but you'll have plenty of time to do the deep dive that I was talking about earlier. So you can go get all of the ham and fix that you need in preparation for her amazing memoir. It, but what struck me about about those first two chapters was, and I guess this is another question about spirituality, mm-hmm. was how our journey, and I think this is true for me, I don't know if it's true for everyone, but it seemed as though it was, I guess the question is, is it about crossing paths with other people on their way to find God, or is it getting to God that is more important? So I think, I mean, maybe just to back up a little bit and just give kind of the the frame for what the book is about might help for me to answer that well. But so the book is about, so you guys got the first two chapters, which is the beginning, which would make sense. And, (laughs) and so the, the beginning of the book is about my conversion to Christianity from what was an agnostic cultural Judaism. But the book itself really is about sort of the journey into and out of faith and then kind of the crawl back towards some, reconstruction of an idea of the divine that feels true you know to me 
post spiritual crisis. I mean, it really is like about a spiritual crisis. So, so, you know, to answer the question of like, do we find God in other people? I think that there's no other way to find God. And, and I don't know that there is really any way at all to find God. Right. I think that we experience these glimpses and impressions and almost like harmonics of divinity more often than not for me in exchanges with other people or meeting other people and seeing or something or say it again what? or Springsteen or Springsteen right right yeah. <laughs> in music yes in music yeah so you know a lot of people will say like I sat at the top of a mountain and I saw you know creation unfolded before me and I was moved to and that's awesome and and I have felt big feelings in nature but that is not my path toward God it's just so yeah so I mean the book is about I think the people that I sort of like collided with over the course of 15 years and the way that those relationships shaped my journey either toward certainty like the sort of athletic certainty I had in the beginning of my religious life Mm -hmm. and then into kind of a much grayer more liminal more conflicted space and the people that I sort of bumped into there as well and how those relationships impacted that that part of the journey. So yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a lot of ways to the divine, but I think in and I think many different faith traditions would tell you that we see God in other people and the way that we interact with other people and that's why people who hurt us in the name of God hurt us in such a specific and damaging way. Mm. Um so yeah, I, I love that turn of phrase, athletic certainty that you felt mm-hmm. at the beginning. I, I feel like what has turned me off about writers of faith, Christian writers, especially the the more popular ones who I know, you know, blog or have, have huge followings, and I'll go to them to, to see what the hubbub is about and find a sort of athletic certainty that turns me off, yeah. that, that makes it really hard to connect because yeah. that's not been my experience, that's... Yep. It's it's something I've always I, maybe it's because I have an eternal um, skepticism that follows me wherever I go, yeah. but it, I it just doesn't feel true. And I know other people find truth there, but I just haven't. And I really appreciate the work that you do to sort of say, hey, there's another way to look at these things. And I don't know. I just said the same thing when she was mm-hmm. reading it, even though the thing she, you want on your tombstone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I mean, I think there was a time when I was that, I I know there was a time when I was that certain and I was that athletically certain, but I think even then there was, I am a born skeptic. And I think even then there was sort of like a, a, a tricking myself into it. But I do know that I have gone to those certainties in times of extreme turmoil, you know, and, and even today when I experience, you know, like when my father passed away about two years ago, I, I had such a profound, like epiphanic moment in a, a church service where I gave my priest his name to read. My Jewish father's name was read in the Episcopal service. I think he would get a kick out of that. But, um, <laughs> but it was like it, it was. I was like, this is why I'm here. You know, these moments are when even if I even if deep down I'm all like conflicted about like, is this literal? Is it not literal? What do we? You know, the ritual of it is so. 
it's so comforting and mm. it's more than comforting. I mean, it's like, it's like scaffolding. I mean, it like holds me up, right? Or, or has. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's like, I don't need, I, I'm, I think that I've entered my, my, and maybe this is an answer to a question you didn't ask, but I don't think belief, I think belief is like weather. I, and I think it is for everyone. I suspect it is for everyone, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. But, you know, belief is like weather, but ritual and practice is something that you can do even when your belief your belief is not there if you choose to right right if you, if you... oh my god like marriage like right writing, right like... exactly <laughs> yeah. right Parenting. like writing yeah like marriage like even when it sucks you know you read you the show kid up. the story at yeah. night even yeah. when you're exactly tired because yeah 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 so that's I mean that's kind of been helpful to me. Did you know that that's what the story, that that's what the memoir was going to result in? Like, did you have those answers and know you're writing to that, to that end when you started? Or is it something the book started making take shape for you? I did not know that. Yes. It definitely was um, an exercise to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was like, I'm curious about this. And this is what I'm obsessed with. Right. So right now, these is my, this is my current obsession. These are my current obsessions. So, and it's interesting because it really informs the edit as well, right? So I wrote it, I finished the first draft in January of 17, 16? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, and it, I've, I've gotten, a, I've gotten more language for where I am now, you know? Right. Um, and out I was of that, out, of out of that, that experience of writing it. Definitely. That's so inspiring to me because I often hear, I mean, we go to conferences and we're talking about writing all the time with different folks in the studio and different conversations that Jess and I have. And, um, and for so many, it seems like they have the end and they're writing towards it. And that's just not my process. It's not yeah. been my process. I think that's like, um, wow, good for them. I mean, I, that's, I have no idea yeah. how, I mean, Joan Didion sort of famously said, I, I write to know what I think. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that's, we're in pretty good company. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hang my hat next to yeah. yours any day. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of rituals, do you have any that you'd be willing to share? Of yeah. the writing sort? Yeah, I do. <laughs> and it, you you have it here too. I always burn a candle and we're, we've got a nice scented candle going in the in the studio right now. I, I have, I, I, when I was writing the first draft, I, that question came up like, real writers have rituals. Shit, I don't have any. <laughs> I've got to get one, you know? Better mix them up. Better right mix now. them up, yeah. Um, and then I sort of dropped it and got back to wrestling with the chapter I was wrestling with. And then over time, I started to see the things I was doing compulsively. And I am nothing if not compulsive, <laughs> you know, like definitely like OCD is just around the corner. So, um, so I, I have figured this out about myself. I way prefer to write at home when there's no one in the house, um, I what does that feel like? It's so good. <laughs> it's the best happen. feeling. Envious well, when the kid, so when the kid is at school, my daughter is at school, and my husband is at work. I have two days during the week that I can do this. Oh, man. Um, so it's like from seven thirty to four thirty. I'm just it's my and so and I just clean enough 
so that I can like look at the floor. Like I don't clean the house because that will screw you up. Yeah. That will screw up yeah. your whole. Yeah. But like again, I'm sort of OCD. So I make sure that the sink is clean. If the sink is clean and there aren't visible dust bunnies in my periphery. Like there can be dust bunnies at the other end of the house. But if I can just Swiffer enough <laughs> to not be distracted with this little space. And you know, it's my dining table. It's a candle. It's clean. And the great thing is coffee's free. I can control the temperature. I can control the music. So that's ideal for me. And I could do that in, a, in any empty house. <laughs> Anyone want to give me an empty house? I'm I can there. write in it. Yes. Um, <laughs> many a load of laundry has has uh, diverted my very oh, best chapters. Oh, absolutely. I'm so convinced. No, but that's a real thing. Like, that's yeah. a real problem for... Yeah. I don't know if men have this problem. <laughs> I mean, no, but... <laughs> I, I do have that problem. Do you? Yeah. yeah. Because I used to work out here until... We got together at the coffee shop to yeah. work, and it's like I'm at the counter uh, in the kitchen writing, and I look over, I see dishes, yep. and I go for the dishes, mm-hmm. or you know. So yeah, no, I, no, it's very. I'm, I'm the type of guy that has you the are, problem. yeah, yeah. Thank you for representing that. Type of guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We say that to Fu a lot. He represents <laughs> yes. the right type of guy so many About times. many, many things. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. yes. How do yeah, you... I mean, that's why we pay $4 for coffee sometimes. So oh, yeah. Don't, yeah. You know, yeah. So yeah, and if I can't, totally. And if I can't, like, there are days when there's, the dust bunnies are greater than what I can attack. <laughs> so I'm gone. I just go, exactly, I go somewhere. How do you know if um if what you're writing like what you, this the seed of an idea comes to you? How do you know if it's going to be a song or a nonfiction essay or a chapter in your memoir? Mm-hmm. Because I don't we I don't know if we have fully explained all of the many talents that you have, which is, makes me feel increasingly um, insufficient. But you're an like amazing it. stop like that immediately stop musician. That. I just. I mean, I'm an okay songwriter, let's be honest. I'm an okay. No. You know, it's kind of sad. Like, I don't write songs really anymore. And the last two records that I did were covers records. And it was a nice way to get to make music that I love without the, the... personal grief of like is this does this song suck is it working does the chorus need to change is it in the wrong key blah 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 I actually made uh that covers record that you mentioned called words don't bleed I made that right after I finished my master of fine arts and creative writing because I was like I have to do some music like uh you know <laughs> like I'm so here. sick of these <laughs> dry words on a page I just needed to exercise that muscle and so yeah. and I knew there was no way I was gonna write I had the bandwidth to write 10 songs so I I made this covers record and it was a great experience, but I don't, I really don't sit down and write songs by myself anymore. I used to. And then I did a project with my brother and my husband called the Rebecca West and we wrote together. And that felt to me like my best, the best use of my song, like the songwriting muscle for me is in collaboration with other songwriters. Mm -hmm. I love that because my, my sort of instrument, my capabilities on the piano are very basic. And so it's so joyful to be with a musician who can think in different ways around, you know, around melodies and stuff like that. And, and that just doesn't happen very often. I don't have the opportunity to do that very often. So I just don't. So as far as, is it going to be an essay or or a chapter in a book? I mean, this is the only book I've ever (laughs) written. So 
I knew like when I started it, I started the book with an outline with, with I wrote a book proposal and then realized I had written a book proposal for a book I had never written. I, I thought I was writing a proposal for an essay collection and oh, then realized, up. and then you're yeah. like, Oh my God. I was like, I don't want to write an essay. I don't want to put an essay collection together. Actually, this Fantastic. book sounds cool. Like maybe I should write it. <laughs> so, so that's what I did. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, stuff that falls out of the purview of the memoir or at least, you know, cause the memoir has its own structure now. Like there's no more chapters or add, we're adding, I hope not. <laughs> so everything that is out of that is, is an essay. I have an essay that I'm working on about my father's death that is also about Haley's Comet and sort of my very small but obsessive interest or knowledge about like physics and astrology, astrology, astronomy. Thank you. Astronomy. Um, and that's an essay, but I am really starting to think about writing like a longer project that is more lyrical about grief and the cosmos and love. So, um, so I think that books, I think books start as, as very often can start as essays and, I hope, I hope that happens. You know, I don't know, but I think we should pause and do like a public service announcement because what you were saying about taking a breath and collaborating Mm -hmm. is so true for me too. And I didn't even know it. I was, we had DVR'd this PBS show about Lin-Manuel Miranda. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you've seen it. It's Mm -hmm. just a, it's kind of like a behind the scenes, but it was, they recorded it before, right before Hamilton hit Broadway and, and they had snippets of. Lynn with his two um, collaborators who helped with the score and Hamilton and and it was like one of those rare glimpses into what it looks like when they're in the room where it happens. Where it happens. Yeah. <laughs> where the, you, you get to see the musicians doing their thing together and I was like, man, like we need more of that in the writing world, you know, where we're, people's strengths are coming together in, in one space and, and I was like, Oh shit, I get to do that all the time with Jessica, of course. Like I, I forgot that it happens, you know? It doesn't look all fancy because it's not being recorded by PBS, which PBS if you want to, um, we're at six two. We're, we're available. We're open. Yeah. We're available. Yeah. But it's a good reminder that there are other people out there who are doing different things, but they're complementary in really exciting ways. And, you know, if you get stumped at the page when you're all alone hanging out with somebody else super creative yeah it helps um can be really edifying yeah Yeah. the last thing I was I was gonna ask about the um your incredible essay about the submission process yeah that was written before your before I sold the book yeah last summer Mm -hmm. yeah before it got picked up and it sort of recounts what it's like going through the failings that we all go through as writers getting turned down with your then nine-year-old and what that looks like to be able to share that with your own daughter and then I guess I, I want to know how it went from not being picked up to being picked up so yeah. what was the second part of that essay well the second part was five months went by or half several months went by and it was so I was sold I mean you know I don't know like it's really hard I mean having a book on submission is really hard it's just like submitting to a journal I guess in a way you know you're waiting for someone to fall in love with your work and most of the time they don't so that is hard and I think she was 10 actually I think she had she was about to turn 11 but I had devised all of these ways to avoid my email and one of them was skydiving (laughs) super creative oh like you do 
Um, it was indoor skydiving to be fair, but there was no way I could check my email when I was like inside a wind tunnel. So that <laughs> was helpful. However, I did find a way to check my email, you know, 20 minutes after having left the indoor skydiving place and I was in the car, like the drive through line was Starbucks at Starbucks with my daughter in the back, my mom in the front seat, like trying to just be super positive and super confident. Like I'm just going to check my email. I'm sure nothing's there, but you know, this is going to happen. We're going to sell this book. It's going to be great. And I checked my email and I got it, you know, this long awaited email from my agent with like. I don't know how many there were, 36 rejections, you know, and detailed, detailed reasons, you know, why? And I don't recommend doing this. We're insane. Can we just say we're insane to do this? We're insane. Yeah. I'm insane. I mean, there's no doubt that I'm insane. My poor family. 36 reasons why they don't like you. Yeah. Yeah. 36 reasons. And these guys, these people are editors at publishing companies. They're very articulate. (laughs) So, yeah, it's not like, you know, I mean, but, you know, to be fair, most of it was, we don't know how to sell this. We don't know who ex-evangelicals are. We don't think there are enough ex-evangelicals to make an audience for this book. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, a year and a half later is quite a different story, I think. That's so interesting. Yeah. But I I do believe, I, I will say I'm spiritual enough to believe that the right people will come, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're crew will will materialize um and there were a couple of big publishers that were very interested but they were very interested in a book that i that's not the book that i wrote you know um we're great this is this is wonderful if you want to change the ending or you know i just what it wasn't christian enough honestly you know for Mm -hmm. kind of the mainstream uh, you know even the progressive christian Mm. publishers it wasn't it wasn't christian enough and 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 there and i did have moments where i was like like Ugh, like is it am I wrong like did am I did I do something wrong I mean yeah. I, you know I don't know why that sort of shame attaches itself but thank god I have an agent who is wonderful and clear-eyed and she was like absolutely not you will not rewrite the ending you will not rewrite toward you will not write toward anyone's mission statement like mm-hmm. let's just take a breath and this was always going to be a book with like that's that was going to come out with like a fierce brave independent publisher and and that's exactly who I who I ended up with and and I'm so unbelievably grateful for now yeah, I'm gonna cry great. now I'm gonna cry I talked about my brother <laughs> I talked about my daughter I'm gonna and I'm talking about my publisher I'm gonna cry uh, um right. could not have been a better I mean just and it's so fascinating when you do find those people that get your weird mix of obsessions and the more you get to know them and their histories and their families and their their important relationships and you see how these sort of patterns in people's lives draw them to each other and i and i feel like that's Mm. it was worth the wait you know yeah absolutely yeah um so and are they they're a secular publisher huh scout books and they they published a beautiful collection of short stories by steve almond who is just the dearest man and um (laughs) And, and ironically, Steve Allman is somewhat responsible for, for me finding Lookout because... No way. Yeah, so I took his workshop at the Tin House Writers Workshop in the summer of 16 oh, and nice. met a woman who was working with was working at Lookout Books. She was an MFA student. And she connected me with, with, the, with the publisher there. She was like, I just really love what you're doing. I think they're going to love it. So she connected me with them for an essay, the, the one I wrote 
uh, and for red today yeah. for Echotone. And Echotone and Lookout are one family. Yeah, yeah. So Steve Allman. They look great. That's awesome. Mm, yeah, it's really it. exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. I was laughing you. when yeah. I saw Steve Allman on the site when I went to Lookout and, you know, saw that he was publishing with them too because, well, you know, he's in Somerville. He's in his... Like, yes, that's right. Four he's miles near away. you. But I was telling Kate that I went to his a birthday party of his like, oh. many, many years ago before I met Kate. He was in a he was in a harder time in his life. It was before his break. Anyway, it's just funny because I haven't seen him since, and he's become totally famous since yeah. then. It obviously has something to do with me coming to his birthday party. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's totally it. That's totally it. But he's yeah. a gen- I mean, he's I I went to his workshop because my my MFA mentor. Lauren Winner told me I was writing a an essay that had a sex scene in it, and I was like, I don't know how to write a sex scene. Uh-huh. And He's she was like, Yeah, Adam. she was like, you need to. Well, he actually has a craft essay about how yes, like writing sex does. scenes, he and does. she was like, you need to read this craft essay. So then when Tin House came up, and he was, I mean, it was it was like between him and Joanne Beard. <laughs> And wow. I mean, it's yeah, Tin House is nice kind of amazing. Yeah. yeah. But I chose, I chose him because she, my mentor had felt, you know, she's, he's a craft genius and he is, he really, yes, he, he is. really is for more than sex scenes. <laughs> Steve Allman. Oh totally. More than just sex scenes. That's his official tagline. Um, but he's a wonderful teacher. All right. Should we move on to books for yeah. what ails? Yeah. What? Is your old friend book, the book you would read every year, whether you need it or not? Bluettes by Maggie Nelson. And I fear that Bluettes is going to be the answer to most of these questions, but <laughs> Bluettes by Maggie Nelson. Yes. I, I read it at least sections. It's also numbered, right? So like the essay I read earlier, oh, right. it's sometimes categorized as, as poetry. It's sometimes, I mean, it's Wave Books published it and they're a poetry publisher. So I can't believe I haven't read that yet. Oh, I, get I it. know. And it keeps coming up to you, like gorgeous. Lauren Groff mentioned it in her by the book, and yeah. Oh, like that's just, right. I knew I saw it yeah. recently. Yeah, that was such God, a I mean, I could we could literally talk for an hour about about Blue. Your Green Eyed Monster book, the one you wish you'd written. The book I wish I'd written when I was thinking about this last night. I think Bluettes is 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 the answer, <laughs> but but I do have. I am looking at Lauren Winner's still her memoir still called. Um, called Still Notes on a Mid-Faith Crisis. Mm. Um, and Still is such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book. And it's also sort of written in a poetic kind of jumps around in time style as well. It's not a straight linear narrative. In the introduction, she also denies it's a memoir, but it is a memoir. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a beautiful, beautiful book, yes. And I... I will say, I guess I wish I'd written it. I mean, I, I feel like it informed the book I'm working on now so much, right. you know, that I'm, that I'm writing my version of it. On writing Bible? Uh, reading like a writer, Francine prose. So if you mean like a craft book, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. reading like a writer is, I mean, I've, it, I've taught every workshop I've ever taught came out of that book. So. I always like that book should be called writing like a reader. I agree. I it's the same thing. I agree. I, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just a great book. It's a great book. I, it's just very, it's very handy and practical, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, every, 
there's a chapter on paragraphing. There's a chapter on sentence. There's a chapter on word. It's just like mm-hmm. really breaks it down. I mean, I will yeah. throw in, I'm a big craft. I'm a big fan of craft books because they help me teach, but I will throw in also The Situation and the Story by Vivian oh, Gornick. Yes. That's um, a good book. Yeah. Which is really like essential for writers of nonfiction for sure. Yeah. I think I know the answer to this question because I read you. Anyway. I'll, I'll <laughs> yes, you do. Imposition of Guilt Book, the one you leave out that you know you should read, but for whatever reason you haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah, it's Anna Karenina. (laughs) I should let you answer it. Hands down. That's Anna Karenina. It haunts me. (laughs) Yeah. The classic you were forced to read in high school or college that just didn't do it for you. So I don't think anything I read in high school or college didn't do it for me, to be honest. I, I was very lucky to have an extraordinary English teacher in high school, several of them who gave us great books and let us choose books. I was a creative writing major in college, so I also got mm. to read. I mean, I loved it all. I loved John Donne. I loved, I loved all of the old poets. I loved... I wrote my undergrad thesis Did you? on John Donne. How funny. I love John. I was like, John Donne, doesn't everyone love John Donne? I just love, I mean, I, I, I just loved it all. And I, and I think in a way, I didn't get to read some of those books that people sort of like, you know, roll their eyes at. And I almost wish I, I had, and perhaps those will those are also in my category of classics I should have read but didn't. I haven't gotten to you. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Moby Dick, I didn't. I never read. I have that. Also, glares at me from my shelf. Like, read me. Read this is me. the summer to do it. Brazos Bookstore is doing it. I yeah. know. That's their, that's their summer read. I know. Is what book? Moby, Moby Dick. Dick. Oh, Moby Dick. They yeah. have this huge like uh, window dressing. <laughs> have you heard of it? Yeah. I have. I have heard of it. Okay. I loved it. I was dreading sure. it, and then I loved it. Yeah, so, yeah. whatever I, that's worth. I lo- I started it, and I'm I love like all things aquatic. I'm a huge fan yeah. of. I mean, and I started right. I started a novel when my book was on submission to try not to go insane. I started a novel about like <laughs> marine biologists <laughs> to try not to go insane. Yeah, or further to try not insane. to go insane. Okay. So I could think st- like very specifically about something that was, was other. Not, yes. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. And so I started to collect books about, you know, like ecology and marine biology. And of course, there's Moby Dick at the top of the, yeah, the top of the stack staring at me. That's why we're different from other people because other people, when they're trying hard not to think about something, binge Netflix. But no, we take on aquatic novel writing. (laughs) Oh, book that changed your life. Oh, there, it's, I just keep going back to the same, you know, the same books. Like I think, I think Bluets changed my life tremendously. It sort of showed me that there were other ways to write narrative other than straight and linear, mm-hmm. right? So I don't. I mean, I wanna, I want to say something other than Bluets. Um, <laughs> I really do. Yeah, you could go back to Bluets. Um, I think like so. I brought with me to remind myself of the other books. I brought a copy of Best American Essays 2014 that was edited by John Jeremiah Sullivan. Mm -hmm. And I would say that this would be a very good book to leave in a hotel room. Um, the, The essay in this book that was so important to me and definitely informed a lot of the work that I'm doing now was written by Kristen Dombeck. And it first appeared in the Paris Review, but it's collected in anthologized in this Best American Essays 2014. It's called Letter from Williamsburg. Oh, that's in one of your essays. That's yeah. where your daughter was 
wanting to read it. <laughs> it was appropriate. Yeah. Did I right. say that? Did I talk about that? You guys have yeah. more, know uh-huh. more about my, I'm so, I'm so moved by your attention to my work. Thank you. <laughs> this is the deep dive. I'm so this grateful. This is the first ever. <laughs> I'm so grateful. It's really, really kind. Yeah. Kristen Dombeck's letter from Williamsburg what is in that and I would I would and there's a mil there's not a million but there's several other wonderful essays in this book so this is this would be a good one to leave with maybe a little dog ear dog ear turn down page on page 23 where the Kristen <laughs> Dombeck yeah. essay is in yeah. our in our fantasy world where our podcast guests get to leave books and nights hotel nightstands I I think that's like a really good world to live in yeah you know yeah. where we get to share all the things that move us with other people absolutely Hoping for connection. Yes. In fact, you'd think like really cool hotel chains like the Standard in LA or like W yeah. Hotels or something yeah. like, would have. These. Would do that. They Let's would, do like, it. Absolutely. We should have a mini library in it's every such hotel. Such a good room. idea. Yes. I think they're probably. Stand. Like, what if you can't sleep? You need something to read. I mean, I think there are probably more efficient ways to distribute good literature, <laughs> but like, why not? Let's just start a hotel chain to. Just do that. That sounds. But good. what an interesting idea for like our Bibles and yeah, I don't. Like, yeah, I don't think so. There are like naked people in fish tanks. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the Thanks for coming on the show. Thank, Thank you, you for so having me. For time. What a great conversation. Yeah, it was really fun. Thanks That's for having great. me. I appreciate it. Effing Shakespeare is brought to you by the letters F, U, C, and nope. Just kidding. It's brought to you on the backs of the harried, unpaid, and not quite starving artists that make up Bloomsday Literary. Discover books that matter. Also, the good people at Houston Creative Space. Photography, video, and fine art. Find all things creative at Houston Creative Space. Follow us on the Twitter and the Insta at Bloomsday Lit. Show us some love on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Please. And by Audible. Stop being a dick in traffic. I'm looking at you, Houston. Listen to us, effing Shakespeare, and then when you're done with us, listen to an audiobook from Audible. A title we recommend is Eddie Izzard's new book, Believe Me, a memoir of love, death, and jazz chickens. Effing Shakespeare listeners get a free title with a new trial membership. Go to audibletrial.com Shakespeare and get started today. Bye. Bye.